Good morning, everyone. We have got one passage this morning, which is taken from Mark chapter 10 and reading from verse 17 through to verse 31. And that's titled The Rich Young Man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, replied Jesus. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Good morning, everyone. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the ministers here. A few years ago, um, my grandfather died. He was in his 90s. I think I've got a picture of him here somewhere there with my mum. Do you know, sadly, at his funeral, not one of his nine kids, amazing that he had nine kids, but not one of them spoke at the funeral. And I don't really judge my um, aunts and uncles for that because he wasn't a great man, my grandfather. My mum actually died many years ago, but from what I can piece together, my grandfather could be pretty manipulative, controlling, uh, maybe even self-centred to the point where you possibly could call him a narcissist. He could be quite terrifying as well. He was broken, really. And it's sort of hard to piece his story together completely, but he didn't grow up with his parents. He seems to have grown up with his grandparents. Uh, He was a World War II veteran, He was clearly someone who had his own trauma, but sadly, he passed that on to his own family. He let some awful stuff happen, so much so that my mum had been pretty messed up from her childhood. And I remember as a kid, um, everyone called my mum Anne, even though her name was really Elizabeth, and she was sort of so messed up by her childhood, she, she couldn't even embrace who she really was with her name. But when I was about 10... I didn't really understand it at the time, but she decided that she was healed enough that it was time to start to call 
herself by who she really was, embrace who she really was. And so she started being known by Elizabeth again. That, I didn't understand that, but even back then, even back then, two things were really clear to me about mum. It was clear that, that she'd had this hard past and that it had effect, it affected her. But it was also really clear that she had a, a bright future. She was healing. She was embracing life. And it was always crystal clear to me, even as a kid, it was crystal clear to everyone who knew her, actually, exactly why this was. It was because Jesus had been good for her life. My mum, when she'd left home, her dad, my grandfather, he was really anti-religion, really anti-God. But when she'd left home, she'd actually come to see that God was good for her life. God was worth believing in. And so even when I was a kid, there was no doubt in my mind that Jesus had been good for her life. Because when I saw where she'd come from and where most of her siblings were still at in life, I could see clearly there was really only one difference, one thing that, that had led to her going down a very different path. And that was believing in God. But you know, the funny thing was, even though that was clear to me, clear to anyone who met her, when I was in high school, I was sure God was good for my mum's life, but I wasn't at all sure that he was good for my life. I remember thinking he didn't really add much to my life. And if anything, I felt like all he added was restrictions on my life. I felt like he made it harder to fit in and he made it harder to enjoy life. And I reckon that kind of thinking is pretty common, don't you reckon? I used to work with um, uni students on a, on a uni campus. And one time we, we put these blank notices up on the, all the notice boards with a pen attached. And all they said on it was, the problem with Christianity is dot, dot, dot. And do you know what one of the most common answers written, people loved them. They just would write, draw terrible pictures as well, but also write all sorts of answers on them. And do you know what one of the, the top answers was? The problem with Christianity is, it's no fun. It's no fun. Now, that is so common, that idea out there. There's this strong feeling that the problem with God, God is, is not good for my life because he, he takes the joy out of living. And there's another feeling out there these days that, that's probably a bit more recent. There's a feeling that God's not good for my life because what he's on about clashes with what culture now considers to be good slightly different idea you know people who believed in god used to be seen as annoyingly good people that's how people who believed in god used to be seen but now they're seen more as bad people living unhealthy repressed kind of lives and so the common sense kind of wisdom that's out there is why would I believe in God when he's not good for my life? Why believe in God when, when he's not good for my life in terms of enjoyment of life or quality of life or even in terms of modern morality or even in terms of he's not good for my psychological health and my personal freedom? And so when, when we as a church and actually um, a few churches in the area, when we asked friends and family in the community 
what would make God worth believing in, it's not actually a huge surprise that one of the top answers was God would be worth believing in if he was actually good for my life, but he's really not. So today we're going to look at this response and we're not going to do it justice because we're going to look at it very briefly. We're just going to scratch the surface really. There's heaps more we could say. But even in the, the brief time that we've got together to look at this, we're going to see that the common sense wisdom could not be more off the mark because God is absolutely good for your life. That's the first thing I've, I've got to say to you today. Believing in God is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly good for your life. And I'm not just saying this because of my experience with my mum or actually because of my own experience in my own life or even from seeing the experience of hundreds and hundreds of people, which I've seen that God has made a huge difference in their lives. I'm not actually saying this because of what I've seen myself, but because the data overwhelmingly tells you that believing in God is good for your life. Did you know that? Scientific study after study has shown in almost any area that you can possibly think of that God is good for your life. This is so clear that in 2016, a professor and a journalist wrote a a USA Today op-ed entitled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Here's a small part of that article. It says, Professor Van Der Weerle's new research with colleagues of Harvard, Harvard University, building on more than 20 years of prior work in this area, suggests that attending religious services brings about better physical and mental health. Adults who do so at least once a week versus not at all have been shown to have a significantly lower risk of dying over the next decade and a half. The results have been replicated in enough studies and populations to be considered quite reliable. Believing in God is literally good for your life. Going to church regularly reduced mortality rates by 20 to 30% over 15 years. Now, I mean, it just sounds ridiculous, but, it, but it's true. Now, we might think of church as being deadly boring. It might be boring, but it turns out it's not deadly. The opposite is true. Now, in all sorts of areas, believing in God is good for your life, studies have shown. Studies have shown that it helps people cope with stress. Mental health is hugely improved. Even things like recovery from illness is improved. There's decreased loneliness scores in those who believe in God. Some studies show or seem to show that there's greater education results, higher charitable giving results, decreased crime results and and juvenile delinquency. There are greater scores for marriage stability and quality. And there are even improved physical health kind of scores. Like here's a quote from an Australian journal article titled Spirituality, Religion and Health, Evidence and Research Directions. And in this they reference one study and say, Koenig et al. reported that the majority of the studies of heart disease, blood pressure and cancer risk found salutary benefits, beneficial effects, among the more religious. Weirdly, even studies have shown that 
you have better immune system functioning. Atheist, um, an atheist guy, a social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, he, he writes this. He says, studies have long shown that religious believers in the United States are happier, healthier, longer lived, and more generous to charity and to each other than a secular people. Even in terms of sexual satisfaction, studies have shown that belief in God is good for your life. There's a, a new study actually published in the Journal of Sex Research, which is a study of, of more than 10,000 heterosexual adults in the UK. And it reports this. The findings point to a generally higher satisfaction from sex life among those who considered religion as fairly or very important compared to those stating religion was not at all important. It, it almost feels embarrassing to talk about. Not sex life, that's fine. But the fact that believing in God is so good for our lives, it's embarrassing because it, it kind of feels like we're boasting, like I'm boasting or something. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. But I am saying that despite what you might have heard in movies or books or in the media or from friends, the evidence overwhelmingly shows that believing in God and, and being a regular part of a, a, a community that believes in God is good for your life. God is good for your life in almost any way that you can think of. And I'm also not saying that proves anything about God. Um, there's a lot of good evidence to believe in God, but just because God is good for our lives doesn't prove that he exists or anything like that. But what it should do is, is make you stop believing the lie that belief in God is bad for your life. It's not. The opposite is actually true. So please hear me right. I'm not boasting. I'm not thinking this proves everything about God. And I'm also not thinking people seeing the truth of this will particularly make any difference to their lives or, or life choices. Um, I know, for instance, in my life, I, I know that there's many studies that show that the Mediterranean diet is good for your life. Do you know the Mediterranean diet? Kind of like lots of vegetables, fish twice a week, hardly any meat at all, and no red meat. I'm convinced personally that, that that's scientifically true and good for me. But guess what? I ate red meat this week. You try feeding vegetables and fish to teenagers and that's it. You know, knowing something is good for you, it, it, it doesn't necessarily change you or change your life, does it? Knowing God is good for your life doesn't necessarily change anything. I've, I reckon I've never met someone at church who says, yeah, I'm here because I was reading a paper this week and, and I could see that going to church regularly would add seven years to my life. I've never met someone like that. Maybe that's you, I don't know. But there's more to the picture than that. And actually, that's the second thing that, I, that I've got to say to you today. There's a lot more to the picture to that. Because even though science might say God is worth believing in because he's good for your life, Jesus actually says something quite different to that. We saw a taste of it in that bit of the Bible that Trudy read for us just before. A rich man comes to Jesus. You know, this a guy who seems to have it all, but he wants even more. He wants to have eternal life. And Jesus says to this man that what he needs to do is follow him. And he says, 
that's going to cost him everything. And this is our second point. So we've seen believing in God is overwhelmingly good for your life. And yet, following God costs you your life. Now, these two ideas clash. Can, can you see how they clash? Even though so many studies would say to you that believing God's good for your life, Jesus says to you, follow him, and it costs you your life. He says fully believing in God means giving up your life. Just a little bit before Jesus met this rich man, he actually said to his disciples these words. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is super clear. Believing in him costs you your life. Not necessarily literally, but it always means giving up living for yourself and instead living for him. And and what this looks like can play out differently in the lives of each of us. Um, But let's go back to that rich man because we actually get to see what it looks like in how it plays out in his life. So let's, let's have a closer look at him. So this rich man, he, he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But as he does that, he, he just sort of incidentally addresses Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus kind of does something strange at this point. Because before he answers him, he, he says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I reckon the rich man at this point would have been a bit confused. He, he, he would have thought Jesus was focusing on the wrong thing here. His focus is a question about eternal life, not about who's good. But as is always the case when you, when you read these accounts of Jesus' life, Jesus is focusing on the, the real question here, the real issue. The problem with the rich man is he thinks he's got what it takes to get eternal life. He thinks he's, he can be good enough somehow. And so by Jesus pushing this man on, on why he calls him good, when only God is good, it does two things. First, it gives this man an opportunity, an opportunity to open his eyes and see that he's not the answer. He might have all the money in the world, but he's not the answer. If God alone is good, then this guy's never going to be good enough in himself. But second, this gives, Jesus here is giving this man the opportunity to open his eyes and see that Jesus is the answer. If Jesus really is good, really is good, then he's also God himself. And if he's God, he's able to do what's impossible for this man and his money to do. He's able to freely give him eternal life. But the rich man misses the point. Because Jesus also says to him, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this man straight away, he confidently says, Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now you'd expect from what Jesus has just said about who is, who alone is good, that the man might have had just a, a tiny 
just been a tiny bit more honest with himself and with Jesus. But no, he says, yep, I'm all good. It's like he's saying, yeah, no one is good except God alone and me. Really? I mean, personally, I find this this rich entitled guy's blindness just a little bit irritating here. But Jesus doesn't get annoyed at him. Look at what he does. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What exactly does he lack? Well, what he lacks is Jesus. And what stands in the way of him seeing what he lacks is his money. And so for him, in his journey, it was going to literally cost him all his wealth in order to literally follow Jesus down that road. And we see what he thinks of this. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. But this guy, life was found in his money, not in Jesus. And he decided if this is what it was going to cost him, then God was not worth believing in because he's not good for his life. Now, this is just one person's story. But Jesus is very clear that believing in him costs you your life. Not necessarily, literally. Although for some people, that's exactly what it's cost. Not necessarily selling all your stuff. Although for this rich guy, that that was what it meant. But it always means for everyone who'd followed Jesus, giving up living for yourself and instead living for him. And so this should make us pause and, and make us think. If these two ideas clash so spectacularly, which is it? Is God good for my life? Or is God costly for my life? And this brings us to our last point giving up your life for god is good for your life giving up your life for god is actually good for your life now if god is real which he is and if he is intensely interested in you and your life which he also is then of course it's good for you to give over your life to him let me try and explain I reckon it's easy for us to be like the rich man and think that we hold our own lives in our own hands. We can think our money and our life choices and all that sort of thing bring all kinds of things within our reach. Very easily, we can think we control our own destiny. But the reality is we're nowhere nowhere near as in control as we think we are. Wealth can disappear pretty quickly you can walk into a doctor's surgery feeling healthy and walk out with a terminal diagnosis a family can fly apart pretty quickly actually and even peace in our world is nowhere near as guaranteed it's much more fragile than we thought we've got far less control of our lives than we think And even if we we can maintain the illusion that we're fully in control of our lives, there's one thing we can't control, 
we can, we can delay it. We will all one day die. And Jesus tells you on that day, all illusions of control will evaporate as you face the one who alone is in control and alone is good. The sooner we, we're trying to, we give up trying to fake control, the, the better it'll be for our lives, both now and for all eternity. Because do you realize that what God wants for you is far greater than what you want for yourself? What he wants for you is better for your life than what you want for your life. Giving up your life for God is, is good for your life because God is good. I mean, Jesus looks at this rich man and he loves him. He looks at every one of us and he does the same. His love takes him to the cross. Jesus is truly good, but he, he dies to make it possible for people who aren't truly good to have eternal life. But you know, giving up your life for God, it's not only good for your life eternally. It is actually good for your life now too. The disciples we, we heard in that reading, they were a bit disturbed by this whole episode with the rich man. And, and so Peter, he actually speaks up and he says, hey, we've left everything to follow you. He was someone who, who'd done this. He he'd, he'd gave up his life for God. But listen again to what Jesus tells him. Because he says to him, he's actually gained more than he's given up. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life and jesus is saying to to peter and his followers here that giving up your life for god is actually good for your life even in this life even though there there could be persecutions he says for following jesus still what they gain is huge and he's not saying you know they're going to be real estate moguls in this life owning hundreds of houses his point is part of what they gain is the community that they enter the community So let me summarize what we've seen today. It's pretty clear that believing in God and being a regular part of a a community that believes in God is scientifically good for your life. It's hard to disprove that, impossible. But at the same time, Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, it actually means giving up your life. It means surrendering control to someone else. It, It means giving up, living for ourselves, what we want, and instead living for Jesus. But we've also briefly touched on how this is actually good for our lives, both now and for all eternity. Because living for Jesus means living for someone who loves you so much that he died for you. It means doing life with someone who sees you, knows you, understands you, helps you, And it means being a part of a community of people who who truly care about you. And ultimately, it means Jesus will give you 
a life that goes on beyond death eternally. Now I mentioned my my mum at the beginning. She was clearly someone changed for the better by God. And if you'd known her, you, you would have thought that too. You would have thought God was good for her life. And I can honestly tell you, even though she died when she was four years older than I am right now from cancer, she got cancer. She always felt it was the chemicals that they were forced to use on the family farm growing up. But even though she died so young, God was good for her life. She died knowing death wasn't the end. She died knowing that because Jesus had died for her, she would have eternal life with him. Believing in God was worth it both in her life in this age, but beyond this life too. And Jesus offers this kind of life to any of us. He says to anyone. He says to you, give up living for yourself. Live for him. And he will make your life better now. But more importantly, he will give you life that goes on beyond death eternally. He really will. Now, I've shown you a small bit of evidence today why God is worth believing in, why he's good for your life. I'd love to um, show you even more evidence. We've, um, we've got a few nights coming up uh, in November, Monday nights, where we'll be looking at more of this kind of stuff. It'll be in the Highbury Hotel in a safe, kind of relaxed, ask-any-kind-of-question environment. Come along. Come along and see for yourself if you think God would be good for your life. Let me pray. Father, we really do thank you that what you want for our lives is better even than what we want for our lives. Thank you for that. Thank you that Jesus looks on us with all of our flaws and also all of our sin and he loves us thank you that he loves us so much that he went to the cross for us lord help us to see and to go on seeing that you really are worth believing in amen